Good morning. Well, we've heard it very well uh, already this morning. Over the last few weeks uh, and in the weeks to come, we are looking at this idea of being, there it is, there it is, family on a mission, family on mission. And as we do that, well, we're asking questions, aren't we? We're asking questions like, what does it mean? How does it work? Over the last two weeks, John has begun to lay some foundations for us. He's shown us that God himself is family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's shown us that the bedrock of our mission is to be in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of Jesus, empowered by Holy Spirit, so that we are encountering and knowing the heart of the Father. Today, we're beginning to look at how we work things out as the gathered people of God. Living in a world that is just not aware of those foundational things that John's spoken to us about. How does the church faithfully and wisely look to effectively become family on mission? Well, that's an easy one, isn't it? No. No, the laughter tells me it isn't. It isn't. But it is the question that we need to ask. And as I've asked it over these last uh, 10 days or so, I found myself reading some passages that I didn't expect to be reading. When we turn to them uh, in a few minutes, you too might find them slightly odd passages to read when we're thinking about mission. But I hope that I can explain why I turn to them. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote uh, a good deal of the New Testament, preached the gospel to many people. In particular, he preached the good news of Jesus to people in a place called Corinth in Greece. Corinth was a city where there was a Jewish synagogue, but also a number of temples dedicated to various, very dodgy gods. But Paul went there. He preached Jesus and he planted a church. And he spent time there trying to show this church. I think I'm a slightly louder here, John. I'm sort of bouncing back. Thank you. He spent time trying to show this church, this group of new Christians, what it looked like to live this new life in Jesus together as a community of believers, as a family. He stayed in Corinth as a pastor of the church for about 18 months. And then he left and he went on his way to other towns and other churches. And after Paul left Corinth, news came through that things weren't going as well as he'd hoped or planned. So he wrote two letters to the church, about a year apart. A man called Eugene Peterson, and some of you will know that Eugene Peterson produced the message translation of the Bible. He wrote this, there it is on the screen. 
For anyone operating under the naive presumption that joining a Christian church is a good way to meet all the best people and cultivate smooth social relations, then reading Paul's letters to the church in Corinth is the prescribed cure. So if you came here thinking that, you need a cure. The American evangelist, Billy Graham, famously said, if you're looking for a a perfect church and you find it, whatever you do, don't join it because you'll spoil it. The British evangelist, J. John, said something slightly different. He said, none of us has got it together. None of us. But together, we've got it. So, if we dip into Paul's second letter, remember he sent two letters, so the second letter to the church at Corinth, a church that was already losing its way, this is what we find him writing in chapter 6 of that letter. As servants of God, Paul says, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, Genuine, yet regarded as impostors. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. If ever a passage spoke of what the Christian life looked like about 2,000 years ago, then this is it. But if we listen to some Christians today, we could get the impression that the Christian life is very different now. The impression that it's all about glory and celebration. And that if we follow Jesus... We'll move forward getting all that we want, all the time, without any problems. Yet the truth is that none of us live like that. Or am I the only one that doesn't do that? But if we go on trying to believe that that's how it should be, how we should be, when the reality doesn't look like that, then we can end up living a double life. And we will arrive here on Sunday morning wearing a mask. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous for the people and it's dangerous for us. Of course, we can react against that sort of approach and go right in the opposite direction. We can say, You've got it all wrong, you and your happy clappy church. 
the Christian life is so hard. It's filled with trouble. It's just one problem after another. Why don't you just admit it? And of course, that too is dangerous. So there has to be a balance. Former bishop of this church, Tom Wright, used to be bishop of Durham, he puts it very well looking at that passage that we read. He says, Christian maturity gets the balance right. It isn't so much a bit of this and a bit of that. It's a lot of both and at the same time. So part of being an effective Christian family, that's where we began, remember, family on mission, is being able to share both pain and happiness. Just as Paul wrote in his letter, to grieve and to celebrate at the same time, to be sorrowful and yet rejoicing. In the last two months here at Stockton Parish Church, we know that only too well. In many respects, this has been two months like I've never known and certainly never wanted. And yet this is what it looks like to be an authentic and effective church family. And this is what it should look like whenever we meet together. As Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the Romans, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. This should be the distinctiveness of this thing that we are calling the church family. But this family doesn't exist only for its own sake. It's been given a, a purpose that is far greater than meeting our own needs. And of course, we've spoken about that purpose many times from this platform. It's found in Jesus' words right at the end of Matthew's gospel when he said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And of course, we call this the Great Commission. That is the prime purpose, the mission of the church. And that's why we want to be, need to be, family on mission. So let's go back to Paul writing to the church family in Corinth. He's told them what it looks like to be an effective and authentic church family, balancing all the tensions. But what does he say to them about going outside of the family? Well, maybe if we read on for the next few verses, we can see what he says. This is uh, picking up at verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? With what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial was a, 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 a not commonly used name for Satan. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? 
What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Hmm. Maybe not what we expected. I mean, in the Great Commission, Jesus said, go to the nations. And just before he left to go back into heaven, Jesus said in the beginning of Acts to the disciples, you will be my witnesses in all of Judea, in Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' instructions to the family of believers were clearly to go to those outside of the family. And yet there in those verses we read, at first glance, Paul appears to be saying to the church family in Corinth, have nothing to do with those outside of the family. Don't join up with them. And he lists areas of conflicting conflict, contrasting conflict. Righteousness against wickedness, light versus dark, believers versus unbelievers, and even Christ versus Belial, Satan. Yeah, hang on, Paul. We know, because we, we've read your letter, that it was only a few verses back in chapter 5 that you were encouraging, even commanding, the church in Corinth to go to those outside. This is what he said at the end of chapter 5. And it's going to appear on the screen any moment. <laughs> there it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. These are new believers. If anyone is in, is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself. Not just you in Corinth, the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. You can't be an ambassador. You can't make an appeal to the world. You can't fulfill Jesus' great commission if you only stay within the family. You have to go outside. So how do we make sense of Paul's words to the Corinthians? How do we reconcile, reconcile what he says in those two chapters? Well, let's look again at verse 14 of chapter 6. There it is. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite a couple of people up onto the platform. I'm going to invite Benjamin and Benarm. Would you come up onto the platform, please? I've got a little bag here. It's all health and safety check, this. Just play guitar, <laughs> I'm just going to... There we are. I'm just going to tie them up. I looked for, I looked for uh, the church yoke 
but I couldn't find it. Can you translate yoke? Yeah. I couldn't find the yoke, so I thought this would do. Okay, so, um, the, oh, that's not very tight, no. No, it's, no, not. it's not very tight. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to yoke them together. Okay, so just stand in front of me. Yep. Okay. By the way, the, these guys are family. <laughs> Did you notice? Sure. When we were introducing ourselves to the bishop on, uh, on Thursday, we said who we were, Benjamin introduced himself, and then just to be helpful, Ben Arm introduced himself and he said, we are twins. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not obvious, is it? Yeah. Now what I'm gonna do is, these guys are now yoked together. Sorry it took a little bit of time. I'm going to give them uh, a mission. Okay. I'm going to give them a mission. And the mission is, actually I'm very selfish, so their mission is they're going to bring me a gift. Okay? And they're going to do it, they don't know what it is yet, but it's written down on these cards. And they are going to bring me a gift, and they're going to do it Simultaneously, that means at the same time. Okay. Okay? And they're going to do it on the count of three. I'm going to count backwards. So, okay. do you understand what your mission is? Yes. Yes, okay. All right? You can keep that out and put it down. It's up to you. Yeah, thank you. Do you understand what your mission is? Don't bring my glass. Yeah? Okay? Yeah. Ready? So I want you to do this together on my count. Three, two, one, go! The bell has many Go! Go! How? Go! That's a danger. Go! Yeah, there you go. Go! How? Again. Okay. They haven't finished. That one didn't work so well. So I'm going to give them a different mission. I still want a gift. Do you understand? Okay, go. They haven't finished yet. They've got a mission. They're bringing me a gift, something really special, something important.
Couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> When I gave them the first instruction, their mission was to bring me a gift. But they had different ideas about what that gift might look like. And you saw what happened. Backwards and forwards, couldn't work it out. They wanted to bring me a gift, but it was a different gift and they couldn't work it out. But the second mission was successful even though they were still yoked together because they both had the same mission and they helped each other to accomplish the mission and in fact they were able to accomplish something that they would have struggled to do alone so the problem isn't being tied or yoked together the problem is being tied with someone who is not of the same mind as you. Tying people together who are not aiming to achieve the same goals. Now that isn't the perfect illustration by any means of Paul's uh, verse 14 in, in, in chapter 6 of uh, to Corinthians. But are you starting to get the point? There's no doubt that the church family is called to a mission. And the mission is to share the gospel of Jesus with all that that contains outside of the church family, outside of these walls. But that mission is most effective when we are yoked together, when we work together with like-minded people who are agreed on what the goal is. And it's at this point that we see how limited the English language is. Verse 14 says, what fellowship, what fellowship can light have with darkness? And that word that we translate fellowship is a Greek word, and the Greek word is koinonia. And that word appears in the New Testament about 20 times, and it's variously translated into English as fellowship, communion, contribution, participation, sharing, administration, and partnership. And I have no idea how Master is translating into Farsi or some of you guys are translating into Sarani or other languages. So it's a word, a single word, that means so much more than the English language can express in one word. The sense is of joining together but specifically joining together with like minds and common purpose so that what is achieved is beneficial to the people joined together and to others. And that joining together is so much more than joining with just each other. There isn't time for me to look at the other places in the New Testament where that word koinone is used. But for those of you who want to, you can spend time studying and you'll find out that we are encouraged to have koinonia with others to the obedience of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of the Father. Because it's when we do that that we are beginning to live 
as we were always intended to live. Beginning to fulfill our God-given purpose. To be the people we were truly made to be. My dad used to tell me that there was a philosopher who said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. He was right, he was a, an American philosopher called Thoreau. And there is a lot of truth in that if, if we live lives without understanding who we were created to be. But when we begin to see that there is a creator, that there is a creator who's created for us, us for a purpose, and to see that that purpose begins when we live in right relationship with God, and then flourishes when we join with the people of God, undertaking together the mission of God, then that is koinonia. That's when we begin to live the life that Jesus calls life in all its fullness. And that is the point when we are inspired, equipped and empowered to be ambassadors and to become an effective family on mission. Let's pray.